Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now hiring more executives to watch over production of the podcast. Strap in folks. The nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, Christian and I will be discussing all the latest news and rumors in nerdum. Plus, we're talking this week in wrestling. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first this week, it looks like Avengers The Kang Dynasty has found a new writer. Deadline reports this week that Michael Waldron, who was the showrunner on Loki and a writer on Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, is now set to be the new screenwriter for Avengers Kang Dynasty. Waldron was already reported to be the writer for Secret Wars as well, so now he'll be working on both the next Avengers films. There have been several rumors as of late that Marvel is looking to shift away from the Kang storyline, but it is interesting interesting to me at least you know to see them bring Waldron on after he introduced us to that character yeah I like the fact that there should be this built-in like cohesiveness story-wise um you know with Waldron doing Loki and now doing King Dynasty and you know after that Secret Wars um you know that is of course if this movie is still Avengers King Dynasty because you know I think we talked about last week or the week before that possibly marvel might be pivoting away from kang um at this point so um but you know regardless i think you know having the same writer in charge of you know three major projects just makes sense um you know because honestly we've seen major issues character wise in the past when a new writing team is brought in um, you know, and that's kind of the struggle with the episodic nature of the MCU, you know, or just comic books in general. Um, and that kind of, you know, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but, you know, that was the major issue with uh, Scarlet Witch from WandaVision to, you know, what they did with her character in uh, Multiverse of Madness, um, which, you know, once again brings us to the next story because it looks like marvel studios is interested in doing a scarlet witch film industry scooper daniel richmond was quoted by scarlet witch updates on x this week as it's rumored now that marvel studios is interested in a jack schaefer led scarlet witch film it's believed the wandavision showrunner would be on for both writing and directing now wait a second christian i I thought scarlet witch is supposed to be dead how is this possible (laughs) (laughs) i love that like all these articles have to explain up front that you know scarlet witch is technically dead like they've never read a fucking comic book before in their entire lives it doesn't help that that new book that they put out also claims that she's dead i know and we saw article after article like making a big deal out of that like Uh come on people we know how all this works (laughs) what are we doing come on even feige has said it was a flash of red light i didn't see you know her actually die <laughs> it was a bunch of fucking rocks give me a break like yeah we didn't get a corpse or anything so mm. give me a break it's comic books so anyway this is going back to exactly what i was saying i mean this makes perfect sense um you know to bring the person on board who you know told wanda's best story in the mcu i mean what i was saying was the biggest issue we had with multiverse of madness is it just felt like such a betrayal 
to what they set up for Wanda in WandaVision, which we both thought was fantastic. Um, so because it was almost jarring, honestly, like she just became mm. the villain, um, you know, and, you know, it, it, that film had its moments. But at the same time, like it, it felt like such a betrayal to what they set up for her in the finale of WandaVision. Yeah. There's a interview that's been circling around where Olsen was explaining, like she talked to the creative team because she was concerned that the character feels so much different from WandaVision. She claims that the creative team hadn't actually watched WandaVision before oh, really? bringing this in. Yes. Well, that feels like a huge problem. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's kind of interesting that Mike Waldron was a part of, you know, writing Multiverse of Madness. But I mean, I do trust his work that he's done with Loki. So, yeah. I mean, I excited for whatever he does with Kang Dynasty. And Loki's been great. But you would think like mm-hmm. the first step in taking one of these jobs, you know, in the MCU is doing your homework. Uh, you know, once again, because of the episodic nature. I mean, how many times have we seen actors, you know, who've just been casted in a major Marvel role and, you know, they do that like PR shot of them in the comic book shop with the pile of comic books from uh. the character's backlog. So, you know, it, it, I, I, I find that hard to believe, but, you know, maybe that was the case. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, because once again, that cohesiveness story-wise and character-wise just matters so much in the MCU. And when you don't have that, I think that's when like cracks really start to form on the foundation of, you know, the story that they're trying to tell, like bigger picture-wise overall. So maybe uh, Iger is right. Maybe more executives is what ne- are needed to, to keep control of that all guy, this. That guy, man, like he needs to be the big bad of this new phase of Marvel. Like, it feels like that's what- He could what, be Doctor Doom, I'd believe that. Yeah, like what, what was the quote exactly? Like right away, like he just shit all over Marvels, like after- <laughs> Like, why, you know, why not just babyface the project? It's still in theaters, like trying mm-hmm. to get out there and promote it, not saying, oh, well, the problem with this movie is, you know, I wasn't in the room while it was being done. Like, what? No, Iger. <laughs> That's not the case at all. Like, you basically... not, a, not a terrible film either, guys. It's it's still fun and enjoyable. Yeah, at least. I mean, like, why, <laughs> you know, why should I, you know, the, the movie when it's still in theaters? Like, what are you uh-huh. doing? So, um... You know, and the director, like if I'm Nia DaCosta and I see that comment, like, do I want to work for Disney again? Like, what are you doing? Like, Iger's just been all over the place this past, you know, year since he's, you know, taken his job back. So (laughs) I don't know, man. But anyway, up next, it looks like we have another spinoff in the works for The Boys. Another report from Deadline this week points at the hit show The Boys getting another spinoff after the success of Gen V. This new series would be based out of Mexico with writer of Blue Beetle, Sony's El Murto, and apparently an upcoming Scarface remake, which I did not know they were doing. Gareth Dene Alcorcer is on for the script. It's also rumored that actors Diego Luna of Andor fame and Gail Garcia Bernal of Werewolf by Night fame are on for this project. Though it's said that they would be on as producers with a possible supporting role on the show as well. So I still haven't seen Gen V, but it sounds like everyone pretty much loved it uh, and it was very much in the vein of the boys. And and as long as they're able to like capture the spirit of the show, um, you know, with these spinoffs, I say more the merrier. Yeah, I definitely feel like Gen V will be a, a must watch before the next season comes out. So definitely check that when you get a chance. But I can't help but have that like fear of oversaturation and maybe like overreaching, you know, like 
they're, they're trying to make too many shows too fast and what if they start losing quality each spinoff but again gen v was good so i can't really like say otherwise as long as they're based on concepts that can stand on their own story-wise mm -hmm. and they don't have to rely too heavily on the boys in general um to you know garner interest i think they'll be fine like i could totally see this being like something where like vaught has decided to set up like superhero teams in other countries you know that like solely focus on that country's needs um mm -hmm. you know very similar to what uh they did with uh, avengers initiative over on marvel after uh, civil war where like every state had their own superhero team and they were all like government funded and everything like that. I thought that was a really cool concept and, you know, it never went too far, at, you know, after that initial series. Um, and, and I think it all kind of disappeared with the next like big Marvel, you know, comic book events. So, um, but I always thought that whole idea was really cool. Um, and it's something that I wish they continued in the comic book. So if they, you know, kind of take that idea and, you know, run with it, I think it could work. I mean, we've barely scratched the surface of what other countries are doing with soups in general. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot you can really play with. I mean, we we saw just a little bit of like what Russia has been doing and stuff in the previous season. So no, exactly. I mean, this is all speculation at this point, like neither you or me are in the writer's room. But I mean, that feels like the safest way to do this story and the most interesting, honestly. All right, well, let's move on to some horror news. Uh, it looks like Eli Roth's Thanksgiving has been greenlit for a sequel. Sony TriStar have ordered an official sequel to the new slasher Thanksgiving with Eli Roth and Jeff Randall on to write another script. Eli Roth claims on social media that they are going to be taking a year off to work on the next script and hope to have the film out for Thanksgiving 2025. So yeah, I mean, this is no real big surprise. It's done really well in the box office. Um, uh, I thought it was a damn good movie. You can actually listen to my review in uh, last week's episode for the film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Eli Roth, even before the film came out, has spoken you know, quite a bit about wanting to make this a franchise. And it looks like he's going to have his chance to do it. Well, speaking of sequels, it looks like we have some casting news for The Black Phone 2. The recently announced Black Phone 2 will see the return of its killer in Ethan Hawke's The Grabber as Deadline reports Hawke along with Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davies, and Miguel Mora are all set to return for this film. That is apparently coming out around June 27th, 2025. Huh, okay. Um, I don't know if we talked about this before when this was initially announced, but I have no clue how they're doing a sequel for this that isn't like a prequel, but the fact that everyone's returning makes it feel like th that it can't possibly be a prequel. Um, unless like maybe, you know, and spoilers for, you know, the first black phone, maybe it's the kids trying to like solve a, you know, murder that, you know, the killer previously did, um, you know, and maybe they're being haunted by his ghost because once again, spoilers, I mean, the grabber dies in the first film. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but obviously they must have some take on this that, you know, makes all this make sense. But right now I'm just not quite seeing it. I'm not sure if I even want a sequel for this. Like, this doesn't feel <laughs> like it was a good movie, but it just doesn't feel like the kind of story concept wise that really lends itself to a franchise. Um, but I mean, hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, do you see any chance of it like 
maybe being a new killer or a copycat killer while they're like and they're investigating that while also being haunted by the old killer yeah they could do that where ethan hawk is yeah. even like you know his ghost is kind of pulling a hannibal lecter and helping them solve the case somehow mm. um i don't see why he would do that but i mean hey whatever i mean if it works it works <laughs> But anyway, moving on to more sequel casting news, uh, it looks like we have an update for Beetlejuice 2. With Beetlejuice 2 back in production, Willem Dafoe divulged info on his role in the upcoming sequel. Quoted saying, I play a police officer in the afterlife, so I'm a dead person, and in life I was a B-movie action star. But I had an accident, and that's what sent me to the other side. But because of my skills, I became a detective character in the afterlife. So that's my job. But it's colored by the fact of who I was, a B-movie action star. Beetlejuice 2 is scheduled for a September 6th, 2024 release. Yeah, and I believe Tim Burton today just announced that uh, filming has wrapped for the project. So um, I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, let's go ahead and put a nice bow on news this week by uh, ending things with another casting story. <laughs> Sources at Deadline claim Timothy Oliphant is on for a role in the FX series for Alien. They claim he will be playing a synth who acts as a mentor and trainer for Cindy Chandler's Wendy, who is a hybrid slash metahuman who has the brain and consciousness of a child, but the body of an adult. The series is believed to be looking at a 2025 release as filming will begin again early 2024. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is a fantastic actor and you know he elevates any project that he's part of um i don't know about the synopsis though uh <laughs> what the fuck the it's a uh an android or uh so he's you... playing an android that's mentoring someone who is half android half human or as they call them since oh, okay fine uh <laughs> <laughs> so it's, at least it's like something I data can picture. pretty much yeah, yeah. uh-huh okay it's at least something i can picture timothy elephant doing you know i can see him being an android that's easy. great but not in an alien show like i want to see fucking aliens <laughs> i mean i guess these since have been a big part of the series so um and a great part of the series but i'm just hoping that they're not like the main focus of the story so, um, I don't know if you saw this recently, but apparently Ridley Scott has seen uh, Fede Alvarez's alien film that's going to be coming out next year, I believe in August. Uh, and he said it was fucking great. Um, that was according to Fede Alvarez. Um, but, you know, he's got no reason to lie, right? Not, not that he would probably care. Either. <laughs> I was just kind of surprised because Ridley Scott in his old age has been a little bit, I don't know, prickly, if you will. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I guess this is, you know, good news. Also, it came out that the film is actually going to be taking place in between the first Alien and Aliens. So and I believe there's like like 50 some years in between both of those movies, um, you know, film time wise. So that that makes sense. Um, and as long as like Alvarez is able to capture the magic that made those two films great, uh, I'm I'm definitely down for it. Yeah, just give me aliens killing people in space. That's all I really ask for. <laughs> Christian's a simple man, but I, I, exactly. I'm with you, right? That's all I need. I mean, anything would be better than uh, Prometheus, which I, I mean, Scott did. 
So maybe it isn't a good sign that he liked uh, Alvarez's <laughs> movie so much. I can't imagine Alvarez doing that type of film, no. though, based off of his previous no, movie. No, I, so. I can't either. All right, Christian, we'll move on. Uh, we actually just had a trailer drop for Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. Whatever you have to do. However long it takes. Promise me you'll find your way home. Furiosa. Yes, this is directed by George Miller. It is a spin-off or a prequel to uh, Mad Max Fury Road. This time around, Furiosa is being played by Anna Taylor-Joy. And Chris Hemsworth is playing the warlord Dementis, uh, who looks to be the villain of the film, perhaps? Maybe, because they also show Morton Joe and his crew, but I... We know that she ends up working. Well, actually, I have the synopsis uh, sitting right here, Christian. They released that also, I guess. Uh, It says, as the world fell, young Furiosa is snatched up from the green place of many mothers and falls into the hands of a great biker horde led by the warlord Dementis. Sweeping through the wasteland, they come across the citadel presided over by the Immortan Joe. While the two titans war over dominance, Furiosa must must survive many trials as she puts together the means to find her way home. So I don't know about you, but I thought this looked pretty fucking epic. Um, I totally forgot about this film. Uh, it feels like it's been in the works since, yes. you know, Fury Road first came out. Um, you know, that I mean, Furiosa was the character really that stole the show in that movie. So I'm not surprised that, you know, they decided to do a prequel, you know, featuring her. This movie has all the elements that made Fury Road, you know, fucking awesome, right? Yes. <laughs> it looks epic. Yes, yes. Uh, we have beautiful cinematography, insane war machine vehicles racing through the desert. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I, you know, if I didn't see Fury Road watching this trailer, I have no clue what the fuck is going on. I still pretty much <laughs> have no clue what the fuck is going on, even, you know, so. But right up top, it does state that this takes place, you know, 45 years after, um, you know, civilization falls. And I'm paraphrasing. This is basically Furiosa's journey back home, which we know concludes at the end of Fury Road. But at the beginning of this trailer, we see her really young. So I'm guessing that's when she gets captured and taken away from her home. Um, And then, you know, some battle must ensue that sees her end up joining Immortan Joe. Um, you know, we see Hemsworth's character and Morton Joe kind of come face to face. Uh, I'm guessing the giant race in the desert is taking place between the two warring factions. Um, I'm not quite sure why she would choose to join Morton Joe or if it's, you know, she doesn't really have a choice. But I'm sure they'll, you know, become clear once we actually see the movie. When is this actually supposed to come out? Uh, no concrete date just yet, but it's coming out next year for sure. Knock on wood. Uh, But yeah, I mean, story-wise, there isn't much to dive into here. I mean, it's pretty much just, you know, your standard montage, you know, trailer. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it still looks fucking amazing regardless. No, I mean, the way that they propped up uh, Furiosa in this trailer really feels like, you know, she's just Mad Max (laughs) internally. Right. Like for this film. Um, and the way that uh, Fury Road was played out, like every fight and every sequence was kind of like a three-way dance. And I kind of got that same vibe here with the fact that there's, you know, Furiosa's probably got her own mission. 
Chris Hemsworth's got her own, his own mission, and then you've probably got people from Immortan Joe's side. So then she probably has to choose between you know either one, but it definitely feels like it's going to have that same formula at least as fury Road. yeah it's gonna be a choice between like the lesser of two evils i'm guessing yeah um you know what gets her closer to home um, i'm guessing that the kid that we see you know being trapped by hemsworth um early on in the trailer and then later on a motorcycle that has like fire behind it i don't know what's going on there either <laughs> it's gonna play a big point i feel like that's it. furiosa the kid later on it, do we see the kid with Furiosa? See, I took that, at least the first time we saw the kid, you know, I thought that was a younger Furiosa. I might be wrong. I guess may, maybe, I'm, I'm just assuming it's the same kid, so it could be someone else. Okay, I different. mean, do we see Furiosa and the kid together at any point? Not necessarily. Now I have to rewatch the trailer, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But like I said, it's a montage trailer. So it's really hard mm. to keep track of exactly what's going on. There's just tons of action and just, you know, just amazing looking vehicles, you know, once again, racing through the desert. So um, now I did see some people complaining about the CGI. Um, I didn't have any issues. I mean, it's very stylized looking, but so is Fury Road. So I don't understand what the issue is. Um, I would just assume that it's going to be the same quality as Fury Road. Also, I mean, that's what I got from this trailer. You know, um, I don't know about you. I mean, I feel like this one looks cleaner than Fury Road in ways. But I, at the end of the day, I don't think I didn't have any issues with CGI. Yeah, I don't feel I feel like it's too soon to say anything about that. And too, I just feel like, you know, that's kind of how Fury Road was shot, where it's like this almost like hyper reality. You know, the way the mm. action sequences were done and everything like that. So, I don't know. Like, it, it felt very much adjacent to, you know, that film. So, I, I didn't have an issue whatsoever. I will say, I hope we get, like, more of a backstory with, like, Immortan Joe and everything like that. Like, what the fuck is that guy's deal? Um, you know, I mean, he's such a menacing-looking villain, but we really still don't know much about him. We also see her rocking a different-looking arm than she has in uh, Fury Road. So I'm, I'm guessing we're going to get the origin story of exactly, you know, how that came to be. Because mm -hmm. um, she has both arms at the beginning. Yes, that is <laughs> right. That is true. So, um, but hey, I mean, that's why people listen to this podcast, Christian. Expert analysis like that, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> also, you brought this up off mic. Um, it should be pretty cool to see Hemsworth play a villain. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him in a villain role before. No, and he could totally play a snarky villain for sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's also rocking like a prosthetic nose of some sort. Mm -hmm. At least that's what it looks like to me. That's definitely not his natural nose yeah, at all. Yeah. <laughs> that, that felt like a choice. So, um, and he's definitely like, it's definitely not the voice we're used to either but it feels more you know probably more natural yeah i mean when he was first announced for the project i thought like oh is this character going to be kind of like a stand-in for you know the mad max character but that definitely mm. doesn't seem like the no. case here so uh what do you think about the actual title of the film it, to me it feels like some studio executives like overthinking things um it just doesn't feel like a george miller choice to me uh, the whole it's, it's uh, Mad totally, Max saga you know <laughs> yeah it's totally um Rogue One a Star Wars story you yeah know? it's just someone that like we have to let everyone know that this is exactly from this universe so people buy the tickets yes, it's, 
it's all about branding right um, uh, yeah so um i don't know i mean this looks fantastic to me and i'm really excited you know that it is right around the corner so i will definitely be checking this out day one same here and now it's time for christian's corner This week in gaming, Rockstar unveiled the official date for the GTA 6 trailer, which will drop on Tuesday, December 5th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, so about 8 a.m. Uh, Central Time for me. I will be getting up as early as I can to watch it live with you guys, so make sure to join us on Twitch on Tuesday. But speaking of live reactions, next Thursday is actually the Game Awards, which, you know, starting around 6 central like 6 30 i believe central time so we will be live on thursday night um, as well to watch the awards and see what game announcements come out you know with trailers and stuff like that um the trailer for gta did say trailer one so i wouldn't be surprised if there's like a mini trailer or like a slight tad touch of you know gameplay for the game awards i know that rockstar always does its own thing but Maybe there's a chance that Keeley was able to get something for the Game Awards to show off more of GTA, but I'm, that's just my own speculation. There's no rumors or reports out there of that. Um, I haven't officially weighed in on my thoughts of what game of the year will be at the Game Awards. Um, the nominees, for those who are unaware at this point, are Alan Wake 2, Boulder Skate 3, Marvel Spider-Man 2, Resident Evil 4's remake, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, and Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. All of which are highly touted games, uh, but truly one in my eyes has stood out the most amongst all of them and is a true achievement in gaming so i'm gonna have to assume that bowlers gate 3 will be a pretty good sweep for game of the year amongst all the other awards as well at the show uh, which will be a great boost for larian studios who have just put together something that should change the gaming industry going forward you know at least what we demand out of a you know 70 to 80 dollar game experience that you know all these new games are being you know priced at this point speaking of resident evil though um the remakes continue to be a huge success for capcom and so they revealed more is on the way while they didn't announce what title they're going to remake next you have to imagine it's going to either be resident evil 5 or we'll get you know something along the lines of maybe zero or one of the other you know non-numbered titles like code veronica um honestly i wasn't the biggest fan of five but it has a cult following like code veronica does and i feel like the remake treatment could bring a lot to the fifth installment in the franchise a lot of the gameplay elements just you know didn't feel that great for me when i was playing it i remember playing the demo so much before the actual game released because they, I think it, they released a demo or a beta where you were able to play with friends, and that was like super addicting at the time. So there is, you know, stuff that is good about the game. I just, it, it didn't do too much for me. I think it's mostly the setting of, you know, it being bright during the day and like outside of the kind of typical Resident Evil experience. Also, I'm not the biggest Chris Redfield fan in general, so it didn't really do that much for me. But beyond that, the only game that I feel like shouldn't get a remake is Six. Uh, you know the black sheep of the family just a terrible unredeemable game uh that no one wants to remake for so please don't even bother doing six um, in the future i know it's probably tempting uh but don't do it it was not good unless they're gonna scrap everything that they did in six and just make a whole new resident evil six at this point we do know that they're working on more you know the regular main titles as well so we'll see um, what comes out next for resident evil capcom's just on a big high streak for resident evil so i don't blame them 
Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens with Silent Hill as well, since they're trying to follow suits um, behind Capcom's, you know, lead with the Resident Evil remakes. Lastly, we got a first look from Vanity Fair for the Fallout TV series coming to Amazon Prime uh, via set photos and some shots from the actual show. And my God, have they at least nailed the look so far for Fallout. Um, it seems Amazon is really putting their money's worth into the series. And if you're a Bethesda Games fan like me, you'll absolutely love the images that came out. I mean, the Pip-Boy, the fucking costumes, um, the mutants. I mean, everything just looks the way that you would probably expect it to from the game in this series. And I was super surprised. Nothing's been like downgraded or changed for this. The power armor in particular is spectacular. I don't know if the story is going to be any good or not. Um, we do have a little bit of a synopsis here. The series is being done by the husband and wife duo of Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, who were behind Westworld. Uh, the story will focus on Lucy, as played by Ella Purnell of Yellow Jackets fame, who's lived her whole life from birth in a vault after the nukes fell. Uh, the synopsis goes on to say a crisis forces Lucy to venture above on a rescue mission. She finds that the planet above remains a hellscape crawling with giant insects, ferocious mutant animals, abominations, and a human population of sun-baked miscreants who make the manners and morals and hygiene of gunslinging Old West look like Downton Abbey. The character has also been described as, you know, nice and naive, so we'll see how she fares in a twisted world of fallouts. Um, the series is set for April 12th, 2024, and I can't wait for it to come out, honestly. I really want to see that first trailer, at least. Other than all that, um, for me, gaming-wise, I'm very close to the end of Spider-Man. Um, I'm pretty sure. At least it feels like it could end at like any minute, like I'm 30 minutes away from finishing the game, uh, which I've been super impressed by storyline-wise. I feel like, yeah, it's It's probably rushing a little bit. I feel like um, you know, the story just keeps moving and moving and moving. Uh, one hour, and so much can fucking happen in that game wild one moment i'm fighting you know this villain that i had no idea was in the game to the next i'm fighting venom and i'm fighting other forces and it's just so much going on at one time um you're if you haven't picked it up or been on the fence for any reason i don't know why you would be but definitely pick this up if you're a p if you're a ps5 owner there's no reason why you shouldn't have this game yeah i'm going to be probably completing that either sunday or monday at this point well sunday or tuesday or something like that and then uh, the plan right now is to get back to Starfield so we can finish it. Um, I know there's controversy going around with how Bethesda is responding to people's reviews. I'm ignoring all that. I want to at least finish the main storyline uh, before I start modding the shit out of it uh, in the future. Because <laughs> that's, that's definitely the plan for Starfield. Um, after that, I'm debating if I'm going to be doing Cyberpunk or uh, Mortal Kombat next. Um, I've really want to get back to cyberpunk i'm probably going to do the cyberpunk expansion especially after everything we've learned now with um, the 2.1 patch that's coming out for the ultimate version of the game they're finally putting trains a metro system in um it seems like they've overhauled the relationship side of things as well on their own without mods uh they do have like people that were working on mods and who have a good understanding of what people were doing in the mod scene um you know working for them now and it seems like you know a lot of people's criticisms and stuff like that are being answered for the game especially with this 2.1 um patch so it's it's crazy to see where we've come um as as a cyberpunk fan 
uh, to see this game evolve and continue to you know earn back you know its fans and stuff like that i've i've been very impressed by cd project red um with you know how they've handled all of this in the end uh because that launch was just terrible as we all know but yeah i really want to get back to cyberpunk so i'm probably going to start that sometime at the end of december and then there's a lot of games i want to play in 2024 uh, make sure to stop by the beginning of January. That's when we do our, you know, best of the year type of shit. I'll probably be giving you my, you know, favorite three games of the year. And of course, we'll give you a breakdown of everything, you know, the, our most anticipated things, at least, that are coming out in 2024. Also, I'm looking to start um, multi-streaming as well. So I probably will, in 2024, start streaming back on YouTube and um, along with Twitch. I'm also like trying to change my uh, entire stream setup at this point. Um, I'm trying to go from Streamlabs to OBS officially so I can stop using this garbage program. So there should be some big changes with the stream side of things. Uh, I'm going to be working hard on it this month to try and do that um, in my free time. Um, so just look forward to the next year. Um, we're, we're in the end times here for 2023. Get it done. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. And I've come to two words, and I'm afraid to say them, honestly. And it's not because they're not true. It's because I'm a little bit scared of how true they actually are. And it's a little bit corny, and it's a little bit cheesy, and it's not going to sound like CM Punk. But I've changed. And once upon a time, an American dream taught me that as long as you speak from the heart, you cannot go wrong because it is the truth. And this is the truth. I'm home. All right, Christian. So this week we're going to actually start things off a little different and talk uh, some WWE. Uh, all because this past weekend... Uh, the one and only CM Punk made his big return with the company. Uh, what were your thoughts when you initially saw CM Punk uh, walk into the All-State Arena, Christian? Here we go again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen over on this brand? But, uh, I mean, it, as long as he gets along with people and has good matches, good for them. Is, is it making me want to switch back over and watch more WWE as not yet, at least I, I need to see where they're going to go with this. I, I'm excited for the you know match. You know, most people are speculating he's going up against Seth Rollins you know, for the world title at WrestleMania. I would assume if he was going for any type of contract, he would put it in that he wants to main event one of the nights of WrestleMania. And that would be kind of the match he would do for that. Well, especially so. after, you know, the now legendary podcast he did with Colt Cabana that, you know, that was uh -huh. such a like focal point of you know all his grievances um and it seems like one of the elements that led him to leave the company you know besides his overall treatment and health um you know the fact that he never got to main event wrestlemania even though he was like you know the world champion for at the time a record amount of days um you know for the modern era um so yes you know like you i i kind of assumed you know that was probably part of the deal and part mm -hmm. of the reason that you know he probably felt like he had unfinished business with the company um i also could see him wanting to kind of like reclaim his legacy after all the drama that went down in AEW. yeah um you know because it definitely didn't show him in the best of light um you know to say the least 
So, I mean, I wish him the best, honestly. Um, I hope he's grown. Um, you know, in his promo on Raw, he, he, he said that he is a different person. I don't know if that was meaning from, like, the last time he was with WWE or from, you know, the previous two months <laughs> with AEW. He's definitely a different person since he left WWE. <laughs> I, I hope it was the latter. I hope that he's grown uh-huh. since he's been with AEW and, you know, he's you sure. know, learned his lesson. I mean, I, I definitely have my doubts. I just hope, like, you know, I've said it before, you know, a lot of the issues that went down, I felt like was attached to like, you know, mental health issues. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, really joke about it too much, um, you know, and that's not necessarily for me to judge. But it just a lot of his actions seemingly wasn't that of a rational, you know, person, um, you know, and th- I mean, there's two sides to every story, too. So we're only basing that or i'm only basing that on you know what i've read i mean it just felt really like self-destructive um and i mean just signs of him just being incredibly unhappy so hopefully he's you know found happiness you know with re-signing with you know wwe um but obviously that's yet to be seen um but you know from all reports so far so good um it was a big surprise to everyone backstage. I guess the participants in the war game match found out only like an hour or so before the match. Uh, and no one else in the company knew. And according to Hunter, even like, you know, the higher ups, the real higher ups, TKO, didn't even know. <laughs> so okay. um, it was a deal that came together rather quickly. I believe some reports were saying that like talks actually began like 10 days before the pay-per-view um because there are a lot of reports prior you know um like a month out saying that wwe at that point had no interest whatsoever um so obviously something changed triple h in the press conference that took place after survivor series you know basically stated that you know you know, he gets people talking, Punk gets people talking, and, you know, he's all about, you know, giving the fans what they want. Uh, so, and that, you know, he stated that, you know, Punk's changed, you know, since the last time he was there, and, you know, Triple H has changed since the last time Punk was there. Um, because if you remember, I mean, a lot of the grievances that Punk had on that cult podcast were centered around Triple H, too. Uh-huh, so, yes. and Triple H is you know, for all intents and purposes, the one running the show now in WWE. So, um, you know, which makes this even more surprising. But I think, you know, both of us speculated that, you know, after he got fired from AEW, that he would probably return to WWE. Um, You know, once again, I feel like it's all about him kind of reclaiming his legacy. Uh, you know, when he showed up, it was a huge fucking pop. I mean, of course, it's Chicago. It's, you know, the mm-hmm. Allstate Arena. Um, WWE actually did a great job of building buzz for his return during the pay-per-view uh, by kind of teasing that Randy Orton wasn't actually there. Um, because at that point, they announced Orton. So I think a lot of people were just kind of like, ah, Punk's probably not going to show up and everything like that. But once they kind of like put that out there that, you know, Orton's not going to, you know, actually be there. A lot of fans started chanting CM Punk. Um, 
you know, at the time I thought it was insane. You know, I was like, why are you doing this? Like, you better fucking deliver, you know, punk if, you know, you're, you know, doing this storyline because otherwise you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like, they're going to be disappointed mm-hmm. when Randy Orton shows up. Now, that wasn't the case whatsoever. Orton showed up. He got a huge pop and everything like that. And speaking of huge, he was fucking huge. He looks like he put on like 30 pounds of muscle since he's been <laughs> gone. He was out for almost 18 months. Like, yes, it's crazy. He was, I, he had some kind of like fusion, like back fusion surgery or something like where mm. it was actually like, talked about whether or not he would be returning to the company so it was pretty fucking serious but i mean seeing him in the ring like he didn't look like he missed a step whatsoever but i can't imagine if he had that kind of surgery him not having to like modify you know his style um you know which i guess is you know filled with lots of chin locks and rest holds but i mean th- those fucking rkos will take a fucking toll on your body um and he's been doing it for such a long time so i feel like he's gonna have to like i don't know kind of like tone things down a little but anyway uh you know the war games match happened i thought it was fine um you know but i mean what this match will end up being remembered for is the return of punk um, you know, they were, you know, once again, they waited to the very last moment. They even had like the copyright logo pop up of the screen, you know, which is always the signal that the pay-per-view is about to go off the air. And that's when his music hit. Um, earlier in the day, you know, people also started buzzing a little because uh, Living Color actually released a different version of uh, Cult of Personality. I guess it's a more recent take on the song. Um so, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, wait, is something going on? Is something happening? And, you know, lo and behold, Punk did show up and they played the more recent version of the song. Uh, gotcha. The behind the scenes reason for that is probably most likely they get a bigger cut of that version of the song. Um, you know, since the original came out in like the late 80s and, you know, mm. I'm guessing, you know, due to the record contract or whatever they had in place, um, you know, they probably weren't making tons off of the song's usage um so but i mean hey good for them right but that's neither here nor there um they were also once again i feel like wwe was pretty smart with the way all this went down because you know you got the big pop you got you know punk coming out and then you know things you know you know faded to black uh but right afterwards there's tons of fan footage of seth rollins freaking out and uh, having to actually be held back by michael cole and Corey graves which like right away <laughs> i'm gonna tell you right now michael cole is not going to be able to hold back seth rollins right like, yeah that's... <laughs> so right away like i was like this is a work shoot there's no fucking way uh, this is real like if seth wanted to charge the ramp at punk he he would have gotten to punk rather easily if it was just cole holding it back um but yeah, so, I mean, you know, there were rumors that uh, Drew wasn't necessarily happy about Punk being there. He did storm off after the match, like before Punk returned. Um, and he actually apparently stormed out of the arena. Um, I guess the story is like some of that was Punk related, but there's other other issues at play. Um, I don't know if that has to do with, you know, him not being re-signed at this point. Um, if he's just mm. not happy with his status in the company. Um, I was going to say, I, I've never heard any issues that he's had with 
punk. Yeah, well, I guess he's not necessarily. A lot of people weren't necessarily thrilled with him returning. So, um, you know, and that was one of those stories out there when it was initially said that he, you know, that WWE wasn't interested in him coming back was Mm -hmm. that they went to a lot of their top talent, you know, because they all had questions when they were starting to hear the rumors and kind of like confided in them, telling them that, no, we're not bringing Punk in. So, um, you know, because, I mean, uh, wrestlers like Roman Reigns have been pretty outspoken about, you know, not liking Punk. Um, And I don't know if Drew's ever been really like vocal about Punk, but, you know, Seth Rollins definitely has been. So, uh, but, you know, if you actually listen to the entire interviews where, you know, Roman and, you know, Rollins have spoken out about Punk, you know, they both said at the end of the day, they're going to do what's right for business and, you know, Mm -hmm. make money with him if he does return to the company. So, and that pretty much seems like what's happening now. Um, But right now, you know, from all accounts, you know, everything's gone pretty smoothly backstage. Um, but obviously we're in the honeymoon period, so we'll see, you know, if that's changed yeah. in the next like six months or so. So there's no jungle boy to, you know, shoulder. Yes. Him. <laughs> Although on raw, did you see this? Uh, there's a nice shot of punk, you know, you know, standing on the turnbuckle and there's a sign in the background that says cry me a river and, uh, like, you know, anti-punk logo on top of it. So <laughs> So he's definitely going to have his detractors, even with the mm. you know WWE universe. So, um, so, but um, unlike you, I probably will, you know, tune in to kind of see what's going on with Punk and like how they're using him over the next you know couple months. Um, you know, that's kind of what I did with you know Cody Rhodes, you know, until they like totally botched the story at WrestleMania. Um. But, you know, even then, I still watch the highlights and, you know, see exactly like, you know, where Cody's story is headed, which hopefully is still WrestleMania against Roman. But speaking of Roman, uh, there are rumors out there. Um, it's being reported that there have been talks about, you know, doing a punk Roman uh, storyline at some point, which makes sense since Roman is with Paul Heyman right now. We know punk's history with Heyman. Um, he even alluded to Heyman during his promo on Raw, uh, I believe, and I'm paraphrasing. He said something like, uh, you know, wise man once told me to get everything I want out of this company. I'm going to have to leave and come back, uh, which is exactly what he did. And I wouldn't doubt that was an actual conversation that they had. It sounds like a, a Heymanism, if you will. Another uh, possible program that apparently has been talked about backstage is Punk versus Austin. Uh, which has long been a dream match uh, for many fans. Um, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I was fine with, you know, Austin coming back and facing off against Owens. But I feel like, you know, we're like almost two years removed from that. So I'm kind of concerned, like, if Austin is going to be able to go at the same rate even like from, you know, compared to that match, um, you know, and not that he can't get himself in phenomenal shape, but, you know, you know, I mean, in ring shape is quite different and especially to work mm. that kind of program within four months, you know, well, I don't like... know if it's a WrestleMania. I mean, I don't know if it would be for this WrestleMania. Like I'm almost gotcha. assuming I'm operating under the assumption that, you know, it's going to be Rollins versus Punk. 
at WrestleMania. Um, but I mean, I could be wrong. They could go the Austin route. Um, that'd be a big deal. And but it does feel like too soon of a turnaround for Austin to get in that shape. Because I know even, you know, prior to his, you know, uh, last appearance at WrestleMania where he did face off against Owens, like we heard that he was, you know, working out and getting like in ring shape like six months you know, beforehand, mm-hmm. um, which actually got a lot of rumors going that, you know, he was going to be making his in-ring return. Um, but then even like up to that, like last month, no one knew whether or not it was actually going to be a match. And it sounds like they left it really up to Austin to like almost like the day of, um, you know, exactly what they were going to do. Well, that so, explains why that like the whole interview segment to then be a match afterwards. Exactly, it was like their way of building an, an out for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but like once it was kind of like noted that it was going to end up being the main main event, I think the writing was on the wall. Um, but yeah, it was a weird setup to say the least. So, I mean, I would think that Austin would want at least a good solid, you know, six to nine months to prepare for like a WrestleMania quality match with Punk because he knows like how invested fans would be in that and how much of a dream match it is for a lot of people. So, um, I don't know, you know, I mean, the story's got to be fantastic if they do go that route for me, at least. Like, I'd much rather see Punk working with some of the younger talent than working with, you know, a legend like Austin, you know, at this point. Yeah, hopefully to put other people over and yes, make more main event stars. Yes, but, I mean, you know. Punk's long at the tooth at this point. I mean, he's my age. So, uh, and we know, you know, he's definitely been injury prone over the past year or so. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, let's just dust him off when we need him let's not overdo do it and, best, you know you know on the mic <laughs> but it he doesn't have to be in matches i guess by all accounts though he does want to wrestle and he wants to be on the road and i don't know man i don't know if that yeah. you know that's smart on wwe's part you know if they're gonna let him you know be a full-time wrestler but we'll have to wait and see but speaking of the build to wrestlemania i i hope that this doesn't derail any momentum that cody has um, I hope they're smart about how they get to Punk versus Rollins. Um, I think it'd be a mistake to include Punk in that Rumble match. Um, you know, unless they're going to have him win it and have like Cody like go to the Elimination Chamber route to get to Roman, but that almost feels anticlimactic. Like I, yeah. you know, in my head canon, like you have Rhodes enter this year at number one. And you have him like last the entire rumble, and that's how he gets to you know, you know Roman. Um, but if Punk enters, I could see a lot of fans cheering for him. I could be wrong, you know. Um, but I mean, part of it is like you know, since you know the way they that they've built this whole story, you know, around Cody and you know him finishing the story and. You know, my constant fear is that he's going to, you know, lose some of the support of the fans, Um, you know, that he's, you know, he's going to become like, you know, the flavor of last month, if you will. Um, You know, especially if they have a new toy like Punk, you know, in their toy box. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, But it definitely feels like they're going to have to toe like a fine line 
of, you know, making sure that, you know, Cody stays hot until WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, by, you know, the record attendance and, you know, the, the, just, you know, the record profits um, so far, so good. I mean, Cody's still w- one of the biggest names on, you know, the roster. So, I mean, I just, I still don't see how him winning the title at WrestleMania is any like this year is any bigger than, you know, him winning the title last year. Like they haven't showed me like why that choice makes any sense, especially since Roman hasn't been on the show, like hardly at all (laughs) at this point. It feels like Cody is just kind of like, you know, in these meaningless feuds right now, Um, you know, he's just kind of coasting until like, you know, WrestleMania season. So, uh, you know, but the crowd is still behind him regardless. So maybe I'm just a cranky old man, you know, screaming at clouds as always. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, so who would you like to see Punk feud with, you know, in, in his big return besides Rollins? I think it'd be fun to have him go up against uh, Judgment Day, have him fight uh, Dominic, get him over more. You know, I think that would be a good feud for him. Yeah, I guess. I don't. I still don't take Dominic very seriously. And they like they had <laughs> Randy just beat Dominic in a random match on Raw. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they take Dominic that seriously. Like, I mean, he's obviously over with the fans and everything like that as, you know, heel. But, you know, I don't think they see him as, you know, you know, at least in ring wise, you know, a worthy opponent for Punk. Um, I know he worked like a little feud with Cody, but that was very much just a bump in the road for Rhodes. Like he made quick work of him. So um, it just doesn't feel like he's on that level yet. The one thing I will say is like, you need to keep Punk away from LA Knight. Cause it mm. just feels like yeah. Punk would eat Knight alive on the microphone and completely like deconstruct that character. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I like LA Knight and everything like that, but there's just such low hanging fruit for punk. That. <laughs> uh, it would be very easy. Yes, it just, I, I would keep him far away, you know, from, from night right now. So the rock Austin jokes just write themselves yes, for punk, yes. you know, it's, oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, he turns heel sooner than later. Um, did you see the promo on raw? I didn't watch it. I saw snippets, you know, here and there. It was it was kind of flat, you know. He definitely didn't have that passion that he had when he, you know, first initially returned uh, in AEW. Um, it, you know, the whole I'm home line, I wish he would have just avoided. It's just, you know, become such a trope. And honestly, like, after everything that went down between him and WWE, like, it's really hard to believe that he actually feels that way. Uh, but mm. maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe that was sincere, but it just didn't feel very sincere in the moment, at least. So, but in in fairness, I, I guess he lost a lot of time. Like they had to cut a lot of time off of, you know, his segment and everything. Um, so maybe he felt a little rushed and like underneath the gun, but I mean, people waited three hours to hear him fucking talk, basically. They saved it for the main event. Oh, it was main yes, event? Okay. Yes. And they only gave him like six minutes. And it just. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so he was definitely, you know, behind the eight ball um, 
I think it really kind of like hurt the promo overall um, at the end of the day. So, um, but, you know, it is what it is, you know, like it was weird because he was like, you know, basically playing Mr. Babyface. But then like when the promo ended, like he got into the camera and he said he's not here to like make friends. He's here to make money, which is not a very Babyface thing to say. Um, so part of me is really hoping that that was him, like kind of planting seeds for like a heel turn. Him versus Cody would be great. Like I'd love to see him and Cody work a program together. Like even if it's a case of you know Cody beating Roman, winning the world title, and then like moving on to like a huge feud with you know Punk, I think that'd be fantastic and something that we didn't get to see in AEW. Oh, of course, with Punk joining up with WWE. We've now gotten 5 million new rumors for AJ Lee's return for the millionth time. <laughs> yeah. I, it doesn't sound like she has any real interest. Um, no. So it is what it is. He didn't mention her during the promo, which got a huge pop from gotcha. the, the, the crowd. But yeah, back to the promo. I think a lot of people were also expecting punk to like fire shots at AEW. But I'm sure he has like an NDA at this point. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I mean, maybe like some it's, subtle jabs. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is WWE even okay with like mentioning that AEW exists? Is that um, something that they do nowadays? They take their little shots here and there. Okay. You know, they're like net say by no, day. not usually. If they want to be like, I if was... they want to be edgy, they might drop you know mm-hmm. AEW's name, but not not typically. I could see that happening maybe down the line, but I, I still feel like most likely it's more of a legal matter where he can't like you know actually mention AEW. Like I could see him maybe allude to him you know having a stint in another company but even then i feel like he'll be walking a real fine line um gotcha. you know so um yeah if that's the case then don't even bother bringing it up you know i mean you could even sorry i mean you could even say like him not mentioning aw is even a bigger slight than him like you know airing his grievances if you will Fair enough. I was like surprised though that MJF just straight up said WWE. Like that's the first time on AEW I've heard someone say WWE um, in an actual promo, where they usually just say the other brand or some shit like that. No man, they've said WWE plenty. MJF in particular said WWE plenty. Really? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yes, but... yes. You're not paid attention, Christian, or you just <laughs> you drank away that memory. I don't know. I. Because it's MJF's like the the whole bidding war for 2024 is based on MJF name dropping. I only WWE. remember him saying like Stanford and like saying like other like the other place. I don't he's, remember him actually saying the three letters. Yeah, I mean he's name dropped McMahon and Triple H, and you know he's I think he's even brought up the Miz for crying out loud. So mm-hmm. um. I'm surprised after, you know, Punk just debuted. I'm sure it's probably his way of trying to capitalize on that hype and everything like that and get a couple headlines um, that, you know, he would mention, you know, uh, Punk in WWE. But like I said, I, I feel like that's probably the reason why he did that was just to, you know, get that buzz, you know, a piece of that buzz, if you will. So, I mean, I honestly would rather them not mention WWE. But at the same time, I, I like the fact that in AEW, like, you know, there are other wrestling 
promotions and everything like that, mm-hmm. then, you know, they they recognize the rest of the wrestling world, if you will, and like, you know, the history, you know, behind, you know, wrestling just in general. So um, I always like hated that about about WWE and like Vince's philosophy of just like no one else exists except for WWE. If it doesn't happen on WWE TV, it just doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I just don't like it when, you know, wrestlers in AEW make WWE like the main focus of, you know, their promos. Um you know, just to be edgy or whatever. Um, it just feels like the company should be above that, you know. Um, you know, like I hate it when they have wrestlers like airing grievances and talking about going to Connecticut or whatever, um, you know, because it just makes, I, I feel like it makes AEW feel lesser than, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess part of me actually agrees with Vince in a way. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I think there's a difference between like nonchalantly me- mentioning WWE and the fact that they exist to, you know, talking about like WWE glowingly and like it's like, you know, the bigger promotion, um, you know, because there was a period of time where a lot of wrestlers in AEW were doing that, were being disgruntled mm-hmm. was kind of like the gimmick of the month, if you will. But speaking of AEW, uh, let's go ahead and move on from Punk. Uh, how have you been feeling about the Continental Classic, Christian? Um, I like the concept in general. Um, I'm I'm not sure exactly what our end result is going to be just yet. Uh, I haven't been, you know, a big fan of like Eddie Kingston putting his titles on the line, um, adding to all of that, and kind of like. I just wanted this to be a tournament for tournament's sake, and then maybe a title match would be you know announced afterwards like the winner gets an opportunity at the world yeah title. Like, at a pay-per-view that's kind of what i was hoping mm-hmm. for too like i don't need the whole triple crown thing and i know for like you know for wrestling like historians and everything like that it, it, there's a certain amount of prestige when it comes to like a triple crown um i'm sure it was probably kingston's idea since he's such a like all japan mark and everything like that uh-huh. um but i don't know like I, I feel like it kind of like telegraphs where the tournament is headed, uh, especially with you know Kingston, you know being the one to put up his titles and everything like that. Uh, I wasn't expecting there to actually be like a continental title because the last thing AEW needs right now is another fucking title floating around. <laughs> well, I guess technically <laughs> this does condense the titles, but like I, I need some clarification, like. Like, how are these titles going to be defended? Is it just going to be the Triple Crown being defended at all times? What does this mean for ROH's world title? Like, does that mean, like, every ROH, like, pay-per-view, it's going to be the Triple Crown being defended? Or can they be defended separately? You know? So, that's all a little murky for me right now. Um, But, I don't know. Like, overall, like like you, I, I do like the concept of, you know, the tournament and everything like that. I love the fact they're doing a round robin. Um, just because mm-hmm. story-wise, there's so much you can do with the scoring and everything like that. Um, now, with the round-robin format, obviously, it, you know, welcomes comparisons to the G1. Uh, and the fact that Tony's come out and said that, you know, this is going to be the greatest North American tournament um, ever. Which, I mean, could be the case. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, bigger tournaments 
Um, but I mean, obviously that invites like the comparisons and everything like that. Um, also Tony, like right off the bat was saying, it's going to be like the best of the best in AEW. Um, and while I'm happy with who's in the tournament, this is definitely not like the best of the best in AEW. You know, like in, it, in Tony Khan's eyes, Jay Lethal <laughs> is the best of the best. You have to admit We'll talk that. about Jay Le- Lethal in a minute. Um, but like, I-, I wish it was more like the G1 where it is like, you know, everyone pretty much, you mm-hmm. know, participating, you know, all the big names. And that isn't the case right now. I mean, you do have your Moxley's, you do have your, you know, Brian Danielson's, um, but like you don't have your Kenny Omega's. You know, you don't have your Chris Jericho's. And I know a lot of people well, would, will scoff at the idea yeah. of Chris Jericho being the best of the best. But, I mean, he is a former world title holder. I mean, he is a legend. So, you know, and he is very active. So it, it feels like this would be a tournament that he would be in. Uh, or Hangman, you know, for that matter. But all that to say, you know, because of that, you know, right away, it definitely feels less than the G1. When you, you know, start making those comparisons. So I think that's like a major flaw with this. But anyway, before we, you know, keep on going, who's actually in this tournament? Um, in the Gold League, we have John Moxley, Swerve Strickland, Jay White, Roosh, Jay Lethal, and Mark Briscoe. And the Gold the and the Gold League is all taking place. All those matches are taking place on Dynamite. While the Blue League will be on Collision, which will feature Brody King, Claudio Castanoli, Andrade El Idolo, Brian Danielson, Daniel Garcia, and Eddie Kingston. Um, so I mean, overall, I'm happy with the participants. You know, you know, in the Continental Classic. Um, I think the only people that feel like they don't really belong is probably Jay Lethal, who's you know most likely there to put on solid matches and eat pins. Uh, mm. and, and the other name would be Daniel Garcia, um, who I'm sure they have like a storyline in mind for him, but like, you know, right now, like he's been on quite a losing streak. So it feels like, are you really worthy of being in this tournament? Does it make sense, you know, for, you know, for him to participate or be able to participate in this? But like, honestly, like when they announced this, like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be fucking like John Silver and, you know, Preston Vance. Like oh, we've seen yeah. <laughs> other AEW tournaments where you could uh, obviously like connect the dots on like who's going to win. And it just mm. feels like they just drew names out of a fucking hand. I mean, literally, I think storyline wise at one point, they did draw names out of a hat. <laughs> yes. <that laughs> Which is happened. just absurd, Um, you know, to like, you know, figure out who's wrestling who and who's going to be in the tournament. So, um, this definitely didn't feel like that, but Garcia has been on quite a losing streak. Like I said, so, I mean, it doesn't feel like he's necessarily worthy of being here, but I feel like there's probably a bigger story at play. You know, we're going to see him kind of like play spoiler and everything kind of mm-hmm. in G1 fashion. There's always that guy who, you know, goes on a losing streak and then gets hot at the end. Um, but I could see him like, you know getting momentum coming out of this tournament where like, you know, it's all going to be like, Oh, what's, what's he going to do next year? Um, here. Um, but you know, I, I do feel like even though, you know, we've got, you know, big names, some big names. Um, I feel like the whole trip crown factor definitely telegraphs that Eddie is probably going to end up being one of the finalists, uh, when yeah. all is said and done, which I don't necessarily like, 
Um, I want it to be unpredictable and maybe I'm wrong, you know, um, but the fact that, you know, they're in Long Island, which is close to Eddie's hometown and everything like that for the pay-per-view uh, where the finals will take place. But I could absolutely see Eddie, um, you know, defending his, you know, his belts in the finals, um, which, you know, would be kind of surprising otherwise, because that means Brian Danielson would wouldn't be making the finals. Um, and this whole, you know, tournament feels like it's tailored made for Brian Danielson. So, um, if anything, if if this well, isn't like a you know a, a dream scenario for you know Eddie Kingston to play out all his all Japan you know fantasies, this is definitely you know a, a way to like give Brian Danielson just a taste of that G one that he's always craved. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just feels like. Especially with the tiles on the line, it's going to be Eddie Kingston doing, you know, the ultimate underdog story, probably going up against Moxley, who's going to have like a perfect run. He's not going to lose a single match until the end. Yeah, I mean, that was my first thought, too. You know, this way we could finally get that like Mox Kingston feud. I mean, I know we got that like the first year that, you know, Kingston was there, but they've been teasing it for the last year or so. Um, it, we even had them in like two separate, like warring factions at one point, you know, mm-hmm. two opposing warring factions. So, um, yeah, I mean, that does feel like where they're headed now. The only thing that kind of put that in doubt was Moxley did work an injury, um, this past week in his match with Jay Lethal. Um, and he, you know, even mentioned it afterwards in his promo. So, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's their way of building it out for Moxley if they need it. Um, but you know, that, that I, that's kind of why I like a round Robin tournament though. Like we're not doing sudden death where, you know, you know, wrestlers can lose and, you know, still stay in the tournaments. We, we've got a mm. lot of different like storyline opportunities happening all at once. Like I love the time limit draws. I love that that's built in, you know, you still get a point, um, you know, it becomes this whole like, you know, gamemanship thing where, you know, you can have upsets, you know, just by going by, you know, to a draw, um, you know, you could have, you know, someone like, you know, Garcia wrestle, uh, you know, Brian to a draw and cost him the tournament because of that. Well, I thought, um, like this week's episode, I thought for sure Swerve and Jay were going to a tie for the first time because I, I when they announced five minutes left in the match, I was like, oh, that's how they're going to do it. They're going to. And that's you know. an element that New Japan always works in is that, you know, those time, you know, calls always mm-hmm. kind of add to the drama. And I'm glad you like at first, you remember the first couple of years in AEW, they were doing that, you know, once in a while. You would hear that, like, you know, five minutes left, you know, that announcement. And they kind of got away from that. So I'm glad that, you know, this tournament is kind of like reintroducing that element to AEW, mm. even if it doesn't like, you know, exist outside of this tournament. Um, you know, hopefully it does end up becoming a thing. I'd be fine with that. Um, but it definitely adds a lot of drama at the end of the day. So, um, you know, and we've had some great matches so far. Like I wasn't thrilled with the first week, you know, um, besides Kingston and uh Brody King. It just all kind of felt a little too predictable. And I think that's an element of having someone like Jay Lethal you know, in this tournament, unfortunately, you know, like, you know, Swerve versus Jay Lethal, that kind of like, that actually did start the whole tournament off. And like, right off the bat, you knew Swerve was going to pick up the win. Even like, you know, part of me was like, well, maybe they work 
the whole, you know, deathmatch, you know, storyline into this by having Swerve to like injured and beat up after, you know, that match, you know, to hang with Jay Lethal. But they didn't do that, you know, and that, you know, the announcers made a few comments here and there, but that didn't feel like the ongoing storyline of the match whatsoever. And then we had Moxley go over Briscoe uh, in a very good match in the main event of uh, Dynamite, but. Once again, I think everyone just assumed Moxley was going to win, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on Collision, it was White versus uh, Roosh, um, which, you know, with everything that happened at the pay-per-view, which we didn't even get to talk about because we didn't do wrestling last week. <laughs> yeah. But after, you know, White, you know, lost to a, you know, one-legged MJF, it definitely felt like, you know, they were going to use this tournament to set White straight again. Uh, and you know, that's exactly what happened. You know, he picked up the win against Roosh, but I don't know, like to me, besides the, you know, Brody, uh, Kingston match, uh, which saw Brody go over, like it, like none of the matches felt like G1 quality to me, if that makes any sense, where like, you know, the second round of matches, you know, from this week on Dynamite at least, like they felt like they were on par with what you would get out of a G1 um, you know, we saw Swerve and uh, Jay White, and we saw, um, you know, Moxley and Lethal, um, which I thought, you know, they worked a really good match, even though, like, once again, it was a little predictable because it was, you know, Moxley and Lethal. Um, you know, I just, you know, I feel like Jay will probably end up, you know, being that spoiler character at the end of the tournament. Um, but, you know, you know, Moxley's going over, right? But speaking of this week, I, I actually think the second best match of the tournament uh, took place with between uh, Roosh and uh, Briscoe. Uh, that was just fucking amazing. You know, <laughs> I love Roosh and, you know, they both both him and Briscoe were really like mirroring each other and, you know, just mm-hmm. being completely unpredictable and feeling, you know, incredibly dangerous, um, you know, in the ring, like some of those chest chops, man. Oh shit. Like the crowd like gasped at points. Uh-huh. So, um, but yeah, you know, Briscoe has done a great job of like matching his, his opponents, like fire in the ring and everything like that. And really like rising to the occasion. Um, you know, so I, you know, I mean, Roosh got the win, um, rightfully so. Um, and I think it's, you know, the, this tournament, if anything, will kind of like help establish him as, you know, as an upper card, you know, player at least. But also, I, I felt like Dynamite was really, like, aided, you know, the term was really aided with, uh, you know, Brian Danielson being on uh, commentary. You know, he added a lot to the matches. Uh, and we know on Collision, we're going to see him go up against Kingston, uh, who's already, you know, really, like, playing up being behind the eight ball and everything like that, mm-hmm. uh, which lit a fire underneath uh, Brian right afterwards, who cut a pretty, you know, heated promo on Kingston right, you know, after uh Kingston segment. So you know they're going to deliver a hell of a match. I could see Kingston going down 0-2 um and you know him really playing the underdog and you know yeah. going on a huge like hot streak at the end to get into the finals like we said. So um and we also know that we're going to get Garcia versus Andrade and uh uh Brody King versus uh Claudio. Uh so I mean King versus Claudio, 
Yeah, that's going to yes. be fun. <laughs> Can you say hard hitting? Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But I mean, that's what's great about this tournament. It's really going to really like highlight some of the fantastic wrestlers that AEW mm-hmm. has and, you know, give them something to do that feels actually important. Like every match that they're in is going to matter. And that's the fun of a round, a round robin at the end of the day. So um are they gonna have time to fight each other a second time or is no, it it's just once only yeah, once they'll, yeah, they'll wrestle second. everyone at least once so there's i believe there's five matches overall and then the finals so i'm st- still pretty high on this tournament um even though i have you know some gripes um but i feel like those are all things that they can tweak in year two like I want this to feel even bigger next year and I want to see like pretty much everyone like hell I mean I mean G, the G1 doesn't like have your fucking champion enter this you know like I I want them to take away the triple crown element and just you know mm. make this you know for a number one contendership at the pay-per-view you know even if it's like for Wembley you know have this be the setup for Wembley and have this be you know if that's going to be something that you continue every year, have this be your ticket into the main event, um, you know, and that will. With branding, I feel like they're just going to keep it for World's End going forward, unfortunately. I mean, most likely. I I, I don't think you're wrong, but I don't know. I like I, I feel like the stakes could be even higher. And, you know, mm. maybe at the end of the day, I'm singing a different tune once I see like, you know. Once I see how they actually handle the whole Triple Crown, you know, situation. But right now, I'm just not feeling that. So it is what it is. But I don't think it's going to ruin my enjoyment of the tournament overall, if that makes any sense. But before we go, Christian, um, thoughts on the whole MJF uh, double storyline? I don't know how I feel about the, you know, fighting masked men next week, but that's fine. I, at least it's not for like the titles. At, at least I haven't said it's for the titles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would never put that, you know, past Tony's. So, um, um, I don't. I still don't know where they're where they're going to go with this storyline. Like, I was I, happy. It's, it's too long for it to be Adam. I still feel like that's the only way you have any of this pay <sighs> off, though. I know. Because who else could it possibly be? Like, I feel <sighs> like anything else is going to feel like a letdown. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I mean, the only other name that would have been just as big, if not bigger, would be Punk. And obviously that's not happening, right? (laughs) So I just think logically, like Adam is probably story-wise the biggest reveal that they could possibly do. Um, Otherwise, I feel like it's just not going to get over. Um, Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. Like the fact that like Tony's going to sanction a tag match you know, with two masked men against, you know, your AEW world champion and Samoa Joe feels a little, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's wrestling at the end of the day. So <laughs> we've had a lot worse and, you know, a lot sillier storylines, but it does feel a yeah. bit much. Um, it, it's weird for the modern era. I'll put it that way. When when someone hacks your, like, your entire company and then you're allowing them to wrestle on I the show. I wouldn't say modern era. It just feels weird for AEW because that's very much a, well, a okay, WWE yes. storyline <laughs> right there. So, and also, like, it feels like there needs to be a reveal next week. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it feels like you've got to have someone get their mask, tr- you know, pulled off. Because, like, right away. Yeah, and you know it's not going to happen. Right away. Like, that's the first thing MGF and Samojo should be going after, right? Is getting a hold of one of mm-hmm. these guys and taking off their masks. 
So um, it felt like they were definitely trying to, you know, plant some seeds with uh, Wardlow this week. Like when he came out, like right after the MJF segment and everything like that. And his hair was all disheveled. I was like, okay, you're trying to drop some clues. And it might be a red herring situation. But I mean, there was a, a massive guy in that ring at one point, uh, you know, the the segment before. Yeah, but everything with like them hacking into, you know, the lights and, you know, the video feed just feels really hokey. Um, so I'm not a big fan of that. I like the mystery of it all. It's something different. Um, but at the same time, like, if it starts insulting our intelligence, I'd rather have them, you know, just play it straight as possible, if that makes any sense. Um and they need to have the reveal happen sooner than later. Even if it is Cole and he can't wrestle at first, like have him throw like a gauntlet of wrestlers, you know, at MGF to get to him. Give him the MJF treatment. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's kind of poetic at the end of the day. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you could have him have to like, you know, go through Wardlow and whoever else is, you know, part of this the goon squad, if you will, to get his hands, you know, on him. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that makes sense from what we've seen from Babyface MJF so far. Um, but besides everything with the devil, I do like what they're doing with Samoa Joe. Um, I like the fact that Joe is now like basically I like the fact that MJF is pretty much like Joe's prison bitch at this point. Um, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Just, yeah. You know, Joe said that you're my property and no one else is touching you. So, um, I mean, he's still like a devious villain, but he's, you know, that heel with principles, if you will. Like he wants to face MJF at his best, um, you know, after he lost to MJF in their first matchup. Um I feel like that tracks for Joe and that makes sense for Joe. And I thought MJF did a great job this week of really putting over Joe's legacy, you know, what he's meant to the industry. Um, you know, I thought that was a great job. Uh, Cause it's something that like, I felt like he failed to do with Jay White. Um, so I'm glad that he was able to like establish that right off the bat with Joe. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah. Overall, I, I think I'm actually enjoying the storyline, even with, you know, the hokey factor. Um, you know, like I like the Joe angle probably more than the devil angle. But if they're going to be intertwined, I think it can work. Um, now, I might be singing a different tune next week after the whole tag match. But so far, so good. I felt like, you know, at least there was progress this week. That makes sense. Like I hated everything they pretty much did between Jay White and um, uh, MJF. Like, you know, this right off the bat has been an upgrade, you know, from that storyline. Um, that in Like, we didn't even, like, once again, we didn't talk the pay-per-view, but the whole, like, incredibly contrived storyline, you know, injury storyline that, that they did throughout the pay-per-view with MJF just felt like it really, like, downgraded that show, which overall was a pretty solid pay-per-view. Um, but like, I was just so worried about where they were going with everything that I was just, I don't know, like it really took me out of things, if you will, because nothing made any sense 
you know, the fact that they're going to let Adam Cole defend MJF's world title is like, that's not a thing. That's <laughs> you can't do that. And the fact that, like, even though it was Jay White's faction who beat down, you know, MJF, they're still going to just hand over Jay White, you know, the, the world title. It's like, how is that not going to lead to all the heels basically just beating the shit on the baby faces in the back? You know, knowing that uh, they're just going to get, you know, rewarded the title before their match because it becomes a forfeit situation. You know, it's like it just the whole angle was so illogical that it was just I don't know. It was just too much for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> Where I was like, who's booking this? Like it almost would have made more sense to have like Adam Cole beg Joe to take the match or something for later or just not do any of this. I, well, yeah, I think they, didn't they have were to do trying it, to but... garner some buzz for that match since it was so flat and get people interested enough to like hear the rumblings and, you know, with the whole graphic of, you know, Adam Cole versus Jay White, um, you know, to get people to order the pay-per-view last minute um, and get people talking. But it did the opposite. You know, it really just put heat on the company. Uh, because it just, it was so convoluted. It, it made no sense whatsoever. It's like, why would Tony let someone who's not cleared by doctors replace someone who's not cleared by doctors? Like, what? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the match itself was good. It just, you know, when MJF and, you know, White actually got to wrestle, I thought it was a damn good match. Uh, it, it just didn't need all the gaga around it, honestly. So, and I think at the end of the day, it hurt the perception of Jay White. He lost to a one-legged man, pretty much. Essentially, um, yeah. I mean, it's wrestling. I mean, MJF did have to cheat to win at the same time. So I feel like it's not like, you know, a death blow to, to White. But I don't know. It, it still doesn't look good, right? I, I still need that him and the entire team to just get into like a more serious mode or serious story. Yeah, there ne there needs to be a tone shift. I agree. Mm. I agree. Like for that faction to be taken seriously, I agree a hundred percent. You know, they need to add a member. I know juice is going to be on the bench for a while with an injury. So, and I love juice. Don't get me wrong. And I think he's great in this faction. I think the guns work in this faction too, but they need someone else there with an edge um, that makes the team feel a little more intimidating. Um, Cause Jay White's not that kind of heel. Like he's a great heel, but he's not that kind of heel where people are going to be like afraid of him. Um, they need, you know, a heavy in there who, you know, will definitely, you know, make them feel more intimidating, you know, like put, put, you know, powerhouse Hobbs with them or something like that, even though he's with Callus's group right now. You know, someone along those lines or a Wardlow. You could use Wardlow in that group uh, if you wanted to. So I'm sure White's going to, you know, overcome this. You know, it's just a bump of the road mm. for him and everything like that. But, you know, for his first like main event feud in AEW, it, it, it definitely wasn't a great one. And I don't think it was, you know, due to anything he really did. Like, I don't think he delivered necessarily on all of his promos. But I think part of that is just being part of a storyline that just was stake bitten from the get go. Like every time that you yeah. do the whole like, you know, stolen belt thing. 
like it's such a wrestling trope at this point. I think any like seasoned wrestling fan knows, you know, where that story is headed, which is just, you know, the babyface regaining his title <laughs> at the end of the day. Exactly. So, um, and with everything MJF was already going through with all the different wrestlers and having Jay White to have to constantly all of his promos at a certain point just became, hey, remember me? Yeah. I'm I'm the real threat. He felt here. like an afterthought. You know, we said it <laughs> exactly. week after week, you know, leading up to the pay-per-view. White really feels like an afterthought right now. And I liked that, you know, you had all these people chasing after MJF and made the belt feel important. But at the same time, like it felt like they needed to do that, like, you know, right after the previous pay-per-view, and then have White somehow come out as like the number one contender. Um, you know, when all the smoke was cleared and you have all the, you know, the people kind of, you know, state their case for going after the belt. Um, because if you do it backwards, you know, which they did and you, you know, have white become the number one contender for the title a month and a half out. And then you introduce all these different threats, you know, going after MJF's title, Mm -hmm. white ends up getting lost in the shuffle there. And he just ends up feeling lesser than. And you don't want that for your main event, you know, in any pay-per-view. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just not great booking on, you know, Tony's part. So, but hopefully, you know, this Joe MGF program will get things back on track, at least for the main event scene. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.